Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast, presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week I'm joined by New York Times bestselling author, Tom Coyne. You're one of those people who's really into golf course architecture, design. You gobble up those lists like the Golf Week magazine Top 100 that you can play and all the other Top 100 course lists. This is going to be a podcast for you. He is the author of a course called Scotland, as well as a course called Ireland, and he's got a new book out that I'm sure is going to be another hit, a course called America, 50 States. 5,000 Fairways, and the Search for the Great American Golf Course. I had a chance to get an advanced copy of it, and it's fantastic. So Tom and I go pretty deep onto what makes golf courses special, what makes them memorable, what, how do you actually define a great golf course? We talk about specific places. I tell him where I'm willing to die on a lonely hill out in the Monterey Peninsula, and I think he's willing to let me go out there and, uh, and do it. He has a different opinion than I do, but that's fine. Um, then we get into some of the real cool parts of the book, which touch on a lot of big themes and a lot of different things that I think people are really going to enjoy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Tom Coyne. And now making his first appearance on the Forward Press podcast, I would like to welcome Tom Coyne. Tom's name probably sounds familiar to a lot of you folks. If you have gotten into golf course architecture, design, if you like golf travel, he is the person who is behind a course called Scotland, New York Times bestseller, which every time you probably hear your name, New York Times bestselling author, that's got to kind of be pretty cool. I would imagine this this is a good thing. Do you, you chest puff up a little bit? You know, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. The Philly David, kid makes good and uh, New York Times bestselling author here. I've been called far worse things, my friend, and uh, it's not bad. So thank <laughs> I, Yeah, I, it's, you know. It's on my business card, my golf clubs, golf bags, stuff. You know, I, I try to be modest and, and humble about it. No, I, it, it's very cool. And um, I think the painting on the side of the house was a little bit much. But <laughs> what? I mean, it's a beautiful font. Um, it's, you know, yeah. I, no, it's it, it's been fun. it's been a great ride. I mean, the <laughs> Ireland and the Scotland books. Like, I, I just think of sort of surprised. Um, well, Ireland was a big surprise, and then uh, you know that, yeah. that 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 many people were interested in. Links golf abroad, and then and then certainly, uh, you know, Scotland found its its place. So good to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. Good. I um I was fortunate enough. I I had heard about the book obviously coming out. This is not a, a, a secret by any means. Now coming out on the twenty fifth of May, you can pre order on Amazon and everywhere that books are pretty much sold. A course called America: Fifty States, Five Thousand Fairways, and the Search for the Great American Golf Course. And I to start with. Thoroughly enjoyed going through this book. I really Thank liked you. it a lot. I think that you, in a lot of ways, struck on a lot of themes and a lot of different things that are kind of quietly percolating in the world of golf beyond the PGA Tour, beyond the sort of world of competition. Um, right. If you're looking for that kind of stuff, you're not going to find it, a whole lot of that. This, to me, is much more about the game that we, the collective we being most Americans, play 
and what we do, what we enjoy, what we sort of seek out. Um, and I think that you nailed it. So congratulations on something that I'm sure is going to be extremely successful. Ah, uh, David, thank you so much. Uh, I, yeah, I think I like the way you sort of phrased that a we book. Um, I was describing it to someone else the other day and called it like an, an us book. So our, our pronouns are, are, are spot on. Um, you know, the Ireland book where it's sort of like, can I just survive it? And the Scotland book like is, is a very sort of, in some ways, a personal sort of golf, golf journey. And, um, but the fun of, doing America, uh, you know, is all the sort of people that sort of came into my path and the way I got to see the way that they play, the way that they live, the things they care about, what they're into. So, um, you know, hopefully I was able to, you know, tell that story of, of us, of a big, complicated, spread out, vast us. Yeah. It's, um, so the book itself follows something, um, not to, to sort of diminish the work that I know went into this, something of a template which you have established, which is going to different venues, taking a look at different golf courses and, and having a couple of different themes that sort of string things together on this journey. And as my English professors at St. Lawrence University used to love to tell me, like, look for the journey, look for the narrative, try and find this other stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's in some ways subtle and in some ways it's, it's very, very apparent. But talk to me a little bit about the process of which you went through going through and planning out this book because as you talk, you and I talked about before we started this, you start in May 19. Um, you finish in December of 2019, right before the world basically goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. But the logistical challenge of traveling the United States to look for the great American golf course to me is, as you sort of said, a much bigger job than going around Scotland, going around Ireland, where geographically you just have less territory to cover. No doubt about that. And I learned that pretty quickly uh this is a big a big country much larger than than scotland and ireland so the process of putting it together it was unwieldy i mean this was by a wide margin uh the toughest of the of the three to arrange and for a list of reasons you know obviously we mentioned the size the scope of the country if you're saying going to golf america okay i'm going to play all 50 states that seems like a, a good way to start i wanted to play every u.s mm -hmm. open venue because I felt like if I'm playing all the U.S. Open courses, that at least gives me some tent poles of courses that I have to hit um, because I'm that's what I'm trying to do. But also from a writer's perspective, if I played every open course, then I was in some ways sort of walking through a good portion of the history of golf in America, right? With the, the USGA story and, and, and how it starts is uh, a chance to tell a lot of this history of, of golf in America. And that was something I wanted to do in the book. So those are some of the parameters. Plus, I asked for recommendations for courses from, you know, I crowdsourced it from the internet and got 800 recommendations of courses I had to play or else my book was going to be terrible um, and, and worked that into a spreadsheet. And I mean, it, you know, the trip itself took eight months, but the, the, the planning and the arranging was well over a year. And that would be because, you know, trying to one, whittle that list of 800 down to some manageable number. But two, this other sort of complicating factor that we have uh, about our golf in America, and that's that half the courses were private, some extremely private, and that I, and I knew nobody there. So that complication um, was very different 
than the Scotland and Ireland books, which yeah. every course there has visitor tea times and was happy to have come share their golf course, you know. Uh, so when I say, all right, well, you know, Chicago Golf Club, I have to go there. They hosted a U.S. Open and um, or Shinnecock. And, you know, these are <laughs> these are tough tea times. And, and so you'd arrange <laughs> this itinerary and yeah. there'd be all these sort of pieces to it. And then you'd find out, okay, well, I don't know anybody at this golf course or they have a member guest on or they're aerating and then the whole thing falls apart. So um, trying to arrange these itineraries where I was playing 36 holes a day uh, and, and not, you know, I could arrange the itinerary and then not know if I could actually play the course. So that was challenging. Um, but like you said, I mean, I, you had good English professors because I, I just wrapped up my semester here at St. Joe's and um, and that's something that, you know, we talk about a lot in storytelling. I just taught my screenwriting course and that course is all about, um, it is all about a journey, right? Every story has a, mm -hmm. has a beginning end and a middle. And, uh, what I love about the, this, what's been successful or for me as a writer, why I've gone back to this template, if you will, in different ways, the mm -hmm. three books are all very different, but yes. this idea of. I love the journey story, you know, because it gives me it gives me a beginning, it gives me a starting point. I get to tell the the middle is is where all the good stuff is, and then where am I going to arrive in the end? And and it just sort of gives you the pieces that you need to tell a story. And with America, there were a lot of pieces. There were a lot of yeah. golf courses. Three hundred rounds was you know, it was a good eight months. It was it was a good trip. I bet. How did you, and without getting overly personal, but but the, you touch on it at the very beginning, yeah. how do you even bring this up to your spouse? It's not like you know, you're know you a 25-year-old guy who can pack up your bags and <laughs> you know. know become like this guy who's basically going to live out of a sprinter and just sort of vagabond it around, which is now, as you mentioned in the book, being done by some people very successfully. Um, right. How did you try and balance out any semblance of family stuff and those kind of obligations, which are real, with what this professional obligation was going to be. Yeah, no, that um, that I am not that guy anymore. Uh, I am reminded of that uh, from time to time. <laughs> uh, that I am uh, that. Hey, there, you have two kids here, and a, and a wonderful family. So you know, I talk about it in the book a little bit, but it's it is this notion of like, well, one, let, let's just get it out there. Allison is. Um, a, a saint and wonderful the little, and the little blue box that you must have had to purchase at the end of this thing <laughs> it, was, it better have been pretty good let me tell you it wasn't very little david the uh, uh it was a big one <laughs> she's she's awesome and and has just been yeah. supportive of this from the start and and it would be different i think sometimes read folks would read these stories and then just sort of put their circumstance into it and say all right what if i sure. went and asked my spouse tomorrow to leave for eight months to play golf that's insane. And I would agree with you. That is insane. Don't do that. That's not, it's not smart or safe. In my, in my case, I've been doing this for quite a while. And, and I would say that not only is Allison accustomed to it, she does know that this is kind of part of how I'm wired and also kind of part of my, um, job, I guess I could say, you know, sure. I, I, yeah. I do it for the kids, yeah. David, I do it for the kids. Um, it's, it's the, everything for the kids. <laughs> So the, you know, doing Paper Tiger, right? I'm away for 550 days, which is actually the first time that I met you down at Dr. Jim Suddy's place. I was, I, I was thinking it's, it's around 2003, 2004. Yeah, there? exactly. 
um, I was doing Paper Tiger, trying to play, you know, next level golf. And, and that book played like, you know, 550 days in a row and was on the road constantly and um, or away constantly. Uh, mm-hmm. But we weren't married then. So things were different. So then I do Ireland. That's four months away when we were married, but no kids. So you're like, yep. it's the fun phase. Like, yeah, go you've, to Ireland. Up, stay there. You've, well, you've you, basically like umped the ante yeah. like a little bit. But 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 when you've got all the chips yep. pushed in, two kids, your job, her job, upkeep of the house. I mean, you know, as somebody who just inst- had a central air conditioner had to get replaced and I'm looking at a hot water heater like <laughs> st- stuff is happening <laughs> constantly. If you've got kids and if you've got a, a, a house, you you have no weekend that basically doesn't involve Home Depot and the grocery store multiple times. And when you're, you're a single parent, yeah. and in fact, not to make you feel guilty, but it's a lot. Yeah, as you acknowledge, it's a, like it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a ton, and I tried to arrange it where I was coming home. Um, well, we had a lot of help from in-laws, and every, it was it took a village, yep. not going to lie to you, yep. uh, with me being yep. away this much. And then we tried to uh, – I broke the country up into like 11 chunks or 12 yep. chunks. And so I would do like the Pacific Northwest and then fly back home for a weekend and fly back out. And basically I'd come home and change light bulbs, like you said, like the things that – Mr. Handy. <laughs> you know, the, the handy I'm, – I'm not that handy, but there is an – you know, there's an array of things that don't get done if I'm not here. So I would do that list of things and then, um, you know, kiss my kids and wife and be, and be back on the way. So, um, so we managed it. And once you get into a routine of it, it's not a great routine, but it's just, you get used to it. And, uh, I mean, it's not a great routine for them. I'm, I'm, you know, living a, a, a golf dream. So it's, um, you know, there are things about it that aren't always super fun, but I will not complain about any of it. Um, but you know, it, it, they, they made it happen. Let's create a couple definitions here before we start getting into the book itself, some of the courses and some of the adventures that you have. Um, what makes for the great American golf course? What was it in your mind that you were looking for? That was one of the things I had to sort of discover, right? Um, and ask people about and investigate because, you know, your publication does a great job ranking courses, telling you which is you know, the best and, and uses a, a specific criteria. And, uh, and I think that's all fantastic and smart and it's great and great metrics and love those lists and, you know, for, for conversation and, and, and debate. And, but I wanted to sort mm-hmm. of find out, okay, personally myself, you know, what are my metrics? What's my list? Where do I put things? And, um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, that excitement factor of, if you told me that I got to play, you know, give me two courses and say you could play such and such or such and such tomorrow. My yep. gut is going to tell me which one I prefer, right? The, the, just the, the, the excitement of like, okay, for this one, I would cancel a podcast with David. Uh, this one I would not. I would not cancel that'll a be, podcast with you. That would that would be that would be Meatloaf course. Mountain National in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. <laughs> Tom's there, and this this phone call and this 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 never takes <laughs> sitting, place. But I think that you hit studio. it though. Is is that um. Whether it's Golf Week, Golf Mag, Golf Digest, any number of different online publications, when you get rankings, you set up criteria and you go through it. But a big part for me as a Golf Week you know, magazine course rater, the, the highest honor that I can sort of bestow, and we go through and there's a set, series of criteria and sort of you know, scoring things and, and doing very subjective things. When I'm, when I'm having conversations with friends and they're asking me about courses, I, the, the biggest compliment I can give a place is I can't wait to go back and I didn't really want it to end. That's, and there are certain places it. where, to me, it's just ride is fun. 
And I don't really care where it falls on somebody else's list or this or that. Like this particular place to me is so fun to play that I'm really looking forward to the next time I can do it, hopefully tonight, you know, that kind of a deal. And it sort of sounds like we're on. So let me put it to you this way before we get into the book. One of the, one of the debates that I have with some of my friends and and different coworkers that I've had over the years, let's talk about, for example, at Pebble beach, I am somebody who has a, um, uh, a lonely flag. I don't think it's too lonely, actually. For me at the resort, I'd take Spyglass over Pebble Beach Golf Links, which hmm. to some people would be sacrilegious. And I understand um, that Pebble has tremendous history and the U.S. Opens and all that stuff. And the views are, you know, as striking a place as you're going to probably find on Earth. It's just gorgeous. Every time I've walked off Spyglass Hill, I just have this big permagrin on my face, which doesn't mean that I don't love having a chance to have somebody else pay for me to play Pebble Beach at that rate. Um, <laughs> but when you look at big resort places, where, where, where do you fall, for example, on that one? I think I'm going to have to leave you on that hill alone, David. All right. Um, I've, I've you been know, on that hill. And you want to be on that hill alone, I think. It's a good thing. It, you it's, need me on that, that hill. <laughs> I didn't. So I did Pebble on this trip, and I've done Spyglass on, on another trip. And uh, mm-hmm. so this was actually this was my first time playing Pebble when I did it for the book. Um mm. And I had some of that baggage of like, oh, it's going to be too expensive. It's not as good as people think. The inland holes aren't that interesting. Um, so I actually, if you can go into Pebble Beach with diminished expectations, I actually did. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, having watched it on TV and stuff, but uh, I was charmed from like first hole to last. I just absolutely sure. loved it and and had a fun day. Got poured on. And still had fun, which is a pretty high bar when you get absolutely soaked and you still are yeah. and you're still smiling, as you say. So I'm yeah. gonna fall in the pebble camp there. Um, but I love how you're what you're talking about, David McClay Kid. When I played with him at, um, so he's in the book a couple times, and mm-hmm. we played in Gamble Sands. Um, this is his wonderful course, and he, he had the he called it the 14th hole test. Right when you get yeah. to 14. Are you, are you ready for the golf course? Are you kind of ready to be done? Or are you disappointed it's almost over? And I'm like, that's it. And it always does happen around 14 where you start to think of like, all right, I got X, Y, and Z to do today. I got Where's mm-hmm. my phone? I got to check some stuff. This is almost over. This is great, but I got, you know. Da, da, da. Or is it like I'm just trying to savor every shot because I'm just loving this so much? And, and I think um, I like that. I like that way of thinking about it. So not that, terribly scientific, that- but... Useful. No, but that scene in the book really hit a chord with me. You guys are out night putting. Um, yeah, all Caddyshack sort of references uh, aside, <laughs> there was there was night putting that was involved. There was um, sitting there, you know, eating like chunks of steak that had come off, and people are scurrying around barefoot, mm-hmm. knocking around putts with like lights that have been strewn around, and the the vibe in the scene that sort of gets depicted in that section of the book hits on something that. I've started noticing maybe three to five years ago, um, a lot of it having been done on social media, where there seems to be a movement afoot, especially among people, I'm going to say 40 and younger, who are mm-hmm. either discovering golf or have just sort of taken a greater interest in golf, almost in a much more organic, re- retro or sort of throwback isn't really it, but, but there is a game in its most essential part stripped away of a lot of the commercial bits of it so that 
they're going to walk rather than ride many times. Music and fun and being out there, the camaraderie of it, is a much bigger factor in the experience than breaking 80 or you know driving the ball 300 yards, which isn't to say that they're looking to play bad golf from a yeah. score perspective. Are you noticing that as sort of like a, a national sort of a thing that they, that's not just something that people put up on their Instagram and Twitter kind of stuff? But do you see that? Because it it comes up as a theme throughout this book that there yes. is this golf as being this rediscovery of just a vehicle for the fun. The modern golfer, the young, the youth movement, whatever one wants to call it, golf Twitter, like there's any you know number of ways to try and sort of classify it, but it's real, it's everywhere, it's exciting, it's it's healthy, it's energetic, and it's hard to measure in terms of, you know, when we talk about like the health of the game or the state of the game, mm -hmm. typically people will revert to rounds played or country golf club memberships yeah, and all golf that balls, stuff, all yeah. that stuff. But that's like not the stuff we're talking, you're mentioning there and that I'm talking about, that doesn't necessarily show up on those, on those metrics when, because what we're talking about are, yeah, generally say the under 40 crowd who's interested in fun and experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up playing golf and I was interested and I'm not that much older than the over 40 crowd. Let, let, let's get that out there. But I was interested in what did I shoot? You know, like right. what's my handicap? Um, how am I going to do in that tournament? Can I play, maybe play in college? Can, am I getting better? What's my swing plane look like? You know, all that stuff that, that, that yep. was golf to me. And I love sure. that. And I got obsessive about it and, and it's awesome. And it's still how golf is with me. I'm trying to incorporate more of this sort of spiritual notion and you see them everywhere and they're, and they're where, and they're usually carrying McKenzie golf bags. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, and with Seamus head covers. And so like, I think part of the, it, there's a lot of attachment to like small bespoke brands. Um, yes. with these yes. new golf brands, that's part of it because they're consuming golf in different ways. They're consuming it via podcast, chat room, uh, the internet, and they're shopping, um, in, in the smaller, the brand, the, the better, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, they're making golf very personal and, and, and it's awesome. And it's, and it's, and I wouldn't I say, yeah, I think it's, it's great. I think it's great for the game. It's, and, and, and folks are some, you can debate about whether how sort of big, um, this sort of movement, if you will, is, but I would say, you know, when I showed up to, uh, like. Sweeten's Cove, which you would say is like the the mecca for for that, the, that, the the that the is golf. it, yeah, yeah, you know. And I had forty people just say because I said I was going to be there, and like forty people show up, and they're and they're of that variety of of of, of youthful modern golfer who's playing some tunes, who's probably not keeping score, who's just you know loving being mm -hmm. out there and loving the experience, and it's like man. This is good. Hallelujah. This is a, a wonderful yeah. way to enjoy the game. And I'll tell you what, we'll keep more people in golf if we tell them it's a good way to get exercise and listen to tunes and have fun versus telling people mm -hmm. like, you know, this game's about making pars because making pars is really hard. Yes. Having fun yeah. is, is, is easier. So yep. I, I, I fully encourage it. So you start the journey in the book after basically laying the groundwork and, and drawing out what I would assume were Venn diagrams that would have made you know, Operation mm. Overlord look pretty simplistic. I mean, Indeed. there were probably many, many different <laughs> spreadsheets and versions and all this kind of stuff that they're going on. 
in Newport, Rhode Island, as every great journey seems to begin in Newport, Rhode Island, um, explain to people um, what your experience was at Newport, because that to me, uh, I'm here in central Connecticut and I have never played it. That is one of the last of the sort of, but I never have. I've got some feelers out now. Your book inspired me. True story. I'm, I'm reading the book. I got the advanced copy of the book a couple months ago. And um, I want to say it was probably late Feb, early March when your publisher was able to provide me with a copy. And I was waiting for my son who was at baseball practice at that point indoors. They hadn't gotten outdoors and we're very fortunate here where they were able to play baseball, which he loves. He's, he's 16 and playing on the high school team. And they've got indoor practice going and I'm using it as an hour where I'm going to sit in a parking lot and I'm reading and I'm scribbling down notes and doing the kind of nerdy things that I do. And it just sort of occurs to me as I'm halfway through, I'm like, I've never played like this place. Oh, I've always wanted to check out that place. Um, I had been inspired by Gamble Sands, which unfortunately, again, being Connecticut, not exactly around the corner for no, me. Um, that's not. that that's going to be a trek. Like you're going to yeah. want to be there. You don't happen to be in the neighborhood, right? But it occurred to me that I'd never played Newport, and I literally sent out and started a text exchange with a friend of mine who lives in Newport, saying, "Please put out the feelers." At some point this summer would be great because I can drive there and back in a day. Yeah, I don't need to sort of do some of the jumping through hoops. Um, tell me about your experience at Newport. So the story starts in Newport, right? I mean, every you got to pick the first course, um, and that was easier with this book than than some of the others because I want it. You know, if I'm playing every U.S. Open venue, I want to play Newport, which hosted the first U.S. Open. But not so fast, David. Did it really? Mm-hmm. So that it's kind of fun, the controversy around you know when the U.S. Open began. I mean, there were national championships prior to the first one at Newport. There was one at Newport. There was also one at St. Andrews Golf Club, which at that mm-hmm. time would have been hmm, Yonkers. Maybe they moved around a lot, so don't hold me to that. But um, you know, where was the first national championship? And it's funny when you think national championship, it's like a dozen dudes, but nonetheless, you know, it would have been it's the, the national, national championship. championship. It is what so, it is. But the problem was that Charles Blair McDonald kept losing and, uh, <laughs> and he didn't like the, um, the ways in which the game, uh, or the tournaments were held, you know, one was stroke play, which he felt like, uh, wasn't, legit uh one you know he, there was no governing body at the time to oversee a national right. championship so so he sort of griped his way through to get the two sort of um not expunged but to the point where the he he griped the usga into existence and good for him you know i mean the people say you know charles blair mcdonald his contributions to golf they uh they are vast and cannot be diminished um you and People say, "Oh, he was a belly aching," but you know that belly aching elevated American golf uh, in any number of ways. So, um, God rest his soul. But in in his sort of demand for better standards for our championships, the USGA comes into existence. Finally, says, "All right, we're going to have a, a, a national championship: one for professionals, one for uh, for amateurs, and we'll have it at Newport." And by the way, then he won. Way to go, uh, McDonald! I think, yeah, won the amateur. <laughs> Horace Rollins wins the the Open. Um, but going to Newport is you've got a treat in store for yourself because it's such a unique yeah. setting. I mean, it's, I mean, Newport is just a super charming um, New England 
seaport oh, kind of beautiful town. Little town. I mean, yeah, the whole just, th- the whole thing is great. Yeah, the it's whole great. Thing is great. Love that uh, the the Kennedy Church where they got married. All that stuff is is so that's all wonderful. And then going down to the golf course um, that is a, a very treeless, linksy feeling um, experience. Uh, sort of very minimalist, um, but just really interesting green complex. It feels very old. Feels feels British Isles in quality, and and just loved it. But I think the coolest thing, driving up to the clubhouse, it's like this sort of French chateau almost set on mm-hmm. a hill, and you drive up like a – you feel like you're in, like, Downton Abbey or something going up the pebble, like, like driveway, and, and there's no other buildings, like, around it. Like, it's not a country club kind of scenario where it's like, oh, there's the tennis hut, you know? It's just this, like, right. chateau. So you feel like you're going to a ball or something. It's really – it's really something else. Um, and the locker room is upstairs and you get to, you go out on the, on the stone balcony, you know, to see the whole course. That experience was awesome. George Pepper was there to show me around. Um, yep. who's a longtime golf writing hero. So, uh, that whole, that whole day was like, Oh, I'm off to a good start aside from the rain. But, um, cause we got soaked and a friend of mine, um, Billy McGinnis of South Jersey fame, uh, he had made the cut uh, to get into match play at the U.S. Amateur, I guess, in 95. That was the one when Tiger beat Buddy Marucci mm. uh, on that crazy comeback. So he came with me and sort of relived the 30-foot putt he made on 18 to get into match play, make it by one. and So that was cool, too. It sort Very of kicked cool. off the USGA theme well. So you leave Newport, and this is where I've got a beef with you. Um, and it. I'm wondering if you're oh, going to get what some I did. blowback. I, I, yeah, we'll see if you know what you did. So, all right, what do you think you did? What did you think you did wrong? I think I told people about a golf course you didn't want people yeah, to know about. Yeah, you know what? You and yeah. your fat lip just couldn't keep it <laughs> shut. So, and this is where the, this is where I'm going to be curious if you get, you know, in in all, for all the right reasons, the pushback mm-hmm, from people mm-hmm. because like a fishing spot, um people find little places that they love and they kind of want to keep it to themselves because if yeah. word gets out, then all the fish are gone. Um <laughs> You head down the road and you go to Groton and you head over to Shinnecasset, yes. um, which for people outside of southern New England, they're going to be like, I've never even heard of this place. And that's just the way you want it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, to, to spend a day. What I thought was fascinating was if I, if I read the book correctly and understood, you basically just put the word out, I think either on Instagram or Twitter, one of you like, hey, going to be at Shinnecasset. And people just showed up. Um, so which leads me to sort of two things. What was your impression of Little Shinnecasset down in Groton, Connecticut? And then does this book get made before social media becomes a thing? You had mentioned golf Twitter before, but Instagram, I think, is actually every bit, if not more, powerful for golf being yeah. a visual medium. Um, but what did you think of Shinny? And could, could you have done this book this way 15 years ago? Well, loved Shenny, and hey, by the way, you brought it up, so now we're talking to even more people about it. So I, you now know, you're your complicit fault. in people this gonna, whole thing. How many millions of copies of this thing are going to be flying around? Millions. Not billions. Like, and I'm not probably. the one who spilled the beans know, on it. I know. Um, I thought you were going to get after me for Fenwick for talking about that. <sighs> I wasn't. That, that was intentionally oh, that was not even going to bring it up. Oh, I was sorry. Going to bring it up. I'm like, <laughs> I was going to jump straight to Yale. I mean, why don't you start talking about my mom? I mean, how many hidden gems can How many hidden gems can you have to yourself up there? Come on. But, but here's the, the thing: is that Connecticut has the reputation, rightfully, of not having nearly as many fun, great golf courses as, for example, Westchester, 
the southern portion of New York and certainly New Jersey, which are mm-hmm. all from the golden era. You, you take a look at the maps and you're like, oh, I could throw a dart anywhere in the tri-state area that hits in Westchester County, Long Island, New Jersey, and probably be pretty close to something that is historically significant and, as we had said, really, really fun and unique to play. Um, yeah. You know, Connecticut just doesn't have the depth of the quality. So what little we have, being a little state, like us in Rhode Island are going to team up and probably get carpeted anytime soon. I mean, it's not, we don't have a lot of space. <laughs> um, so those are the two that, um, you know, Fenwick and Shinnecasset that I'm like, oh, he did them both. You well, when I'm so, playing every state, I'm going to find them, right? If you only have that, that I was that hoping many. you were going to head up to TPC River Highlands or something. Everybody <laughs> sees that on TV. And so, so, so. But, but what'd yeah. you think? I loved it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Donald Ross, right? Um, mm-hmm. And very, you know, a very down-to-earth, great welcome in the pro shop. The fact that a bunch of locals and not-so-local folks uh, yeah. joined us uh, was awesome. That wonderful surprise when the course, like, turns down to the water. I didn't see that coming. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, these, like, two holes here back and forth are they're as good as it gets, right? Yeah, it's super it fun. Just an absolute blast. I know they lost some holes along the way to some um, encroachment uh, of some sort of a commercial concern. But, um, yeah, what's there? I, I just said we had an absolute blast, blast a really good walk. Um, so that was just a super day out there walking with three foursomes of, of folks who showed up, like you said, because I, I put on Instagram or Twitter where I was. And your point about – I mean, this book could – yeah, it could be written, but it's a very different book. It's not it's this a, it's book. A, it, it's a much more lonely book. I would it's, say. It's, and, it's a lonely book, and it's much more about travel disasters and snafus mm-hmm. and being on the road alone and not having anywhere to stay. Because you know, social media, the internet, it makes it um, it makes it easier, and it makes it a hell of a lot more interesting. And that I always have generally would always have someone to play with. I mean. I was in some pretty far flung, far flung places and said, "Hey, who can meet me in Anaconda, Montana?" And I got yeah. a foursome, you know, waiting, waiting to go out, and that's 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 extraordinary. And you know, say what we will about the uh, the downsides of social media, I experienced a lot of the upsides on this trip for sure. Are you a trusting person of strangers? And I don't mean that yeah. in, in a way, way, but but if you think about it, there's several parts in the book where you are meeting with, talking with people that you've never met face-to-face, that they're yeah. just introducing themselves through an electronic medium. You don't know who they are, and I don't mean to get all ghoulish on this thing, but um, there's an element of trust and faith that yeah. you would have, and it would seem that if they're the kind of people that are following you on social, um, that are responding in certain ways, that you're like, okay, I, I, I know this person for 135 characters on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I can already sort of just get the vibe of like, this is going to be cool, and... Yeah, I'll meet and let's play golf. I feel like I can get that vibe. And, and like you said, yeah. it's because I trust I trust golf. I trust mm-hmm. that if you're following and or you've read some of my books, I mean, that's somewhat – that's sort of a self-selecting process, right? Like it, mm-hmm. if if you read one of my books and still want to hang out with me, like, all right, we're probably going to have you get a the decent deal. time, right? Yeah. And so so that – it wasn't – you know, my my wife gets a little bit – freaked out about the fact that you know if someone's i'm going out to play golf with someone or meeting someone or you know going to meet someone for lunch like oh who's so-and-so it's like some person hit me up on twitter it's like what you know um so she can be a a little more guarded about that stuff is the life insurance Um, paid up are are the premiums all up to date (laughs) i know 
Um, you know, she made me get a PO box because she's like, I'm. It's really strange when people are strangers sending you stuff to our house. Um, yeah. So I did that. Um, but in any event, uh, I am trusting in Touchwood. To this point, it's been. Um, I've, it's paid yeah. off. I mean, the Scotland book. There were some straight up strangers where I spent multiple weeks with them traveling, which is a whole other sort of level of trusting the universe, mm-hmm. and that worked out um, very, very well uh so i trusted in america and, and you know the universe kept putting good pe- people in my path because you know one of the themes of the book that there are a lot of good people out there yep um i'm i, I don't want to bore people with with my east coast bias sort of takes on on many things the the book travels as you mentioned all across all 50 states it's uh there's some really really fun interesting stuff that that part that we already talked about with david mcclay kid really struck ahead with me um, one of my favorite courses that does sort of somewhat fly under the radar because of the neighborhood that it's in, but it's sort of the golf aficionados give you this sort of knowing nod, uh, when you talk about it is Maidstone. Um, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to become very good friends with a guy who's the director of golf at the Maidstone club, uh, almost 20 years ago. Eden Foster is one of the all time great guys. Yes. And we did a photo shoot for one of my previous publications with Eden, where he was a top 100 teacher, still is a great instructor. Um, and he invited me to come on out and play after we did it. And I didn't know what I was in for. I had no clue exactly what this was about. All I knew was there was beautiful beach behind that. There were some holes where we could get, we, we, when we photographed instruction back in the day, we wanted to make sure we had very clean backgrounds. You don't want to see houses. Well, check the box there. That's not going to be a yeah, problem at sure. Maidstone. And where you could silhouette the person hitting against blue sky or at least an even background, so it's very clear to see them, check the box there too. And I have written in Golf Week before that my favorite walk, we did something for a walking issue last summer when walking, obviously for the reasons of COVID, became much more popular amongst golfers uh, for obvious reasons. My favorite walk um, in golf is going from seven green to eight T at Shinnecock, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. when you're walking up to the sand dune and it is the beginning for me of one of the more fun little three or four hole stretches through about 13 or 14, where if you can imagine folks who've, who've never seen it, you can Google it. It's, it's, it's out there. You're basically hitting about a 140 yard shot into the wind. Cause the, you're hitting right towards the ocean over a sand dune blind to this little green to which to me is like, they would never allow a hole like that to be built today. That, right. that would not, no one would build it. And yet every person who hits it loves it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you remember that, that shot on eight and then over on nine, um, which is one of the more linksies types of places, certainly on the East coast of North America that you're going to get is that yes. little stretch of seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, really through 13, the last part of three, if I'm remembering my numbers and such, um, what did you think about that? And also, my, I guess my my thesis statement is that Maystone is very blue blood. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, but when you're there, the vibe is as casual as you're going to find in many places. And I have yeah. found that in many instances, many most instances, the places that are the most elite, the the most difficult to score the tea time or to become members. They're the ones that are actually the most casual once you're there. Like if you can get yourself in, 
got people play barefoot. There's flip flops yeah. all over the place. The it, the hang is very casual. Did you also run into that? That's an interesting point. The inverse relationship between the exclusivity and then the chill hang, right? And I certainly found that, yeah, Maidstone for sure. Um, Cypress a little bit like this, this, yeah. all this intimidation of like, oh my gosh, I'm at Cypress. And then you get yeah. there and I'm like, hey man, what's up? The caddies are it's like, just, just, can just be. came, sir, off the sitting there with just surfing or wearing, you know, it's like chill. And like, yeah, I think that's, there are some places that do live up to, I think, there um, that you play and like, oh, I'm nervous to play here. And, and yeah, you'll be nervous the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Maidstone Hang, I, I rate that, like when people ask me, of those, of those sort of long, of, of all the courses you play, like where would you like to join? Um, you know, because I'm sure they're all going to come. There's going to be so many invitations, David. I don't know what say, I'm, I'm going to have to decide. The, you had to go uh, with that bigger <laughs> PO box to, to field all the letters all and, the, and the requests the, yeah. for your membership. Yeah, I know. So, but I always say Maidstone because of that. Because what other golf course? One and the golf course too has a little bit of everything. I mean, it's got dunes, it's got some water, it's got sort of a farmland feel that then goes through some marshy stuff mm-hmm. and then you're suddenly you're in Ireland. So, I mean, the golf course has just great variety and is uh, and is a joy to play. And But what other course then, you know, you walk from the 18th tee and then go hang out with your kids on the beach and, like, build a sandcastle. Like, that, I've never seen that, you know. So the beach club yeah. and the golf club existing next to each other where you can see, like, the cabanas from the golf course. I'm like, this is awesome. And hanging out in the locker room with with our host, and it was it, you're right, it was super chill. I was like talking books with the with the locker it's, room guy, and like I'm like this place is awesome. Yeah, Loved and, it. and I remember it's it's been a it's been a few years since I was there, but you think like oh it's got to be this like stately, gorgeous, everything is like you know brand new and freshly appointed. It's it's got everything you need in the yeah. most you know unsnobby way. It smells like talcum powder and like Alberto VO5 from the old totally. timers. It's, yeah. you know, the you flop down in the big chairs. It's it's really casual. And you're like, wow, oh, this is cool. I'm actually, I feel very at home here. And my gosh, like, wouldn't it be great to, to be able to play this every day? Um, which sort of sets me up to another question that you, you talk about quite a bit in the book, which is the difference between the sort of, you, you mentioned it coming off of Friar's Head. Um, yeah, somewhat of a hypocrisy that, that you, you felt this sort of inner conflict where there are these wonderful and amazing venues that you're having the ability to play and that some people in the United States get to play. Most people don't. Most people who are listening to this will never play Maidstone. They're not going to play Friarset. They're not going to play Shinnecock Hills and any number of different places. You go to the UK, Scotland, it's a very different thing. Anyone is free to play a lot of these different places. Um, it's it's just a different take that we right. as the Americans basically botch this up. Um, do you still sort of have that sort of inner struggle? You talk about it in a couple of different yeah. places, but where where are you right now in terms of the availability of the greatness of golf courses to uh, most people? Yeah, availability, accessibility. I mean, honestly, that is a drum that I continue to beat, and I and I and I always will. And so being having come from the Ireland and Scotland experiences where I was welcomed as a member for a day mm-hmm. at anywhere I wanted to go. And then coming here and having that experience of sort of having to play the networking game or sort of beg your way on to, you know, for the chance to, to see courses and thank and incredibly thankful that I did have the chance to, to see all these places. 
but then right like so leaving them and saying like well what kind i'm i'm a hypocrite right like i I champion this cause of (laughs) yeah of accessible golf and then i'm going to play courses that the one of the one of the one percent um get to play and you know what's that all about so that was something that i i do wrestle with a few times in the book at the end of the day if i was going to write a book about golf in america those are the courses that you know you have to play private golf clubs that's the way it is i but i can still make the case in the you know and and make the point that there you know the fact that courses in scotland are open to visitors sometimes all the time sometimes for just a few hours a week um Mm -hmm. is is a scheme that works very well and it's scotland and they invented golf and it hasn't diminished um their experience or anything there's a there's a division in scotland between club and course where the course itself uh is accessible and essentially public but the club right uh can be very exclusive so i can't join the royal and ancient but i can go play the golf course and they're they're not Mm -hmm. sitting in the royal and ancient like looking through the windows thinking like who the hell's that on the first tee which is you know what will happen Mm -hmm. at your club in america if some some dude just walks up and plays and so i also wanted to figure out what was the why was this the case you know um because it seemed like you would think the like england scotland um etc to be to be the stuffier and less visitor friendly um why were we like this in america and it's it's interesting history i mean the country club movement of the 19th century was all about sort of celebrating these anglican civility and english games so they these country clubs were set up for for hunting horseback riding and playing right. polo and cricket and all this stuff uh golf comes in a little bit later though so philly cricket club adopts golf eventually brookline gets golf myopia hunt brings in golf and suddenly golf is behind fences and and because these were bastions of places where you know as america you know america with its mobile class structure and all these immigrants it's like all right well here we're going to be civilized and so golf in america gets wrapped up in that and that's kind of a bummer and we're still living in that world of golf behind the gates um so and which is so very very different than what it is in scotland and ireland and 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 I'll keep beating that drum, David, and I think there's a way to make it work. I, I don't know why. I don't care how exclusive your club is. On on Tuesdays from ten to noon, you could have visitors come, and you could help them underwrite your 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 club, or you could donate that money to yeah. something. I I don't know. It just I, I don't see there's, what the harm in is is it. I I I'll I'll stay up there on Spyglass Hill myself, holding up that little flag. But I'll be happy to join you for lunch on Thursdays. You know, with that yeah, one. Come on, over I, I think it would be wonderful. Um, it's good help. Yeah, I heard the grilled cheese sandwiches with the tomato soup are, are wonderful. <laughs> um, funny story. So you you mentioned you know the the fact that you started out with Pap uh, at, at Newport, um, George Pepper having been the editor for twenty five twenty eight years at Golf Magazine. Right as I'm showing up, he is deciding to go on. Um, he had I don't know if he still has it. I think that he gave it up. He had a house on the 18th at St Andrews. Um, I don't know if he still has it or not. But the first time that I had a chance to play St. Andrews um, in Scotland was in 2006. I went over with a photographer from Golf Magazine, an SI guy named Fred Vuich, one of my very best friends serving the industry. We went to Hoylake and we watched and covered the Open Championship there that was won by Tiger Woods. And and this was right at the the beginning of when people were starting to get broadband. So I had pitched to my boss, hey, look, since I'm already going to be there, 
we know that the Open Championship is going to be at Carnoustie in 2007. Um, that one was won by Padraig Harrington. It's sort of for the American fans, Rory McIlroy's coming, kind of coming out. Let's mm-hmm. head over to Carnoustie. Fred will get pictures. I'm going to bring this video camera, which like no one's really shooting a whole lot of video in 2006 at that point. Right. I'm like, I'll get video of Carnoustie, and we'll have all these assets for next year's British Open. I mean, we're already going to do this. We go out there. We, we get it. We, we stay right there at the hotel. It's a year uh, ahead of time, there's uh, you've been there. There's nothing to the town of Carnoustie. It's when the no, when the Open Championships not going on, you know, it's pretty much you know Scottish tumbleweed going on there. there there's just right. nothing there. But I did walk on as a single at St Andrews on one afternoon, and I'm playing the 18th, playing well. I hit a really good drive on 18, and I see a guy walking a pair of Scotties across the fairway. Now, yep. for people who are not aware, but most people who are listening to this at this point after you know, 45 minutes probably are, um, that people walk their dogs and it's, it's essentially like, it's a public park. I mean, you can do lots of things on the grounds of, you know, the old course at St. Andrews. I hit my tee shot and I see a guy walking from the beach back over to the road and he kind of looks familiar. And it was George Pepper, just totally coincidentally. It was, I've got, I'll send you the photo to prove it that my caddy took. And, and that was George. He sees me. He's like, Dusak? I'm like, George, how you doing? He's like, looks down. He sees my ball, which I'd gotten across the road. He's like, you really knocked the shit out of that one. Good job, buddy. And <laughs> then proceeded to, to walk right down the middle of the fairway with me and chat. Watched me try and bump a seven iron up that rolled back into the Valley of Sin. But then he did see me make the putt. From the Valley of Sin, a la Constantino Roca. What? For the very first time, for the very first time that I broke eighty, was that I went birdie par birdie to shoot seventy eight on the old course with rented clubs. Um, actually, they weren't even rented; they were brought down from Carnoustie because British Airways had lost my bag. So I was wearing running shoes <laughs> and using somebody else's gear, which just shows you, you know, like how much value at the time, like you know, I had in my technology. Right. Um, that yes, so that was my tying it all together. And as you look at the pictures, there are people sitting there behind 18 holding pints of beer, yeah. relaxing in the late evening sun because the sun doesn't go down in July in Scotland. It basically is up 24 you know hours a day. But I, I bring up the story, number one, because whenever I think of George, I think of that just total happenstance. But then it is. It's public land. You know, people yes. don't look at golf courses, historically significant, literally the home of golf, as we consider it. It's not blocked off behind some wall with security guards who are there to keep you out, to keep yeah. them in. Um, not at it all. is as public a venue in the middle of town as you could possibly imagine. Imagine having you know, San Francisco Golf Club. But it was right down on Union Square in San Francisco with Pretty much. no shrubs, no no nothing, and that's that's what you have. And it's in some ways it's very unfortunate, and I think it's 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 tragic that we don't let, open up the gates, you know, to this. I think it's really cool that Seminole over the last year with the Walker Cup that just concluded, yeah, with a TaylorMade event where they had Rory McIlroy and you know, Matthew Wolf and some of these people. Those are the first time we we're ever seeing Seminole Golf Club. You know, which a lot of people have heard, like, oh, this is where Hogan went to go practice for his opens. This is the summer home of this and that. I'm like, and, and no one's ever seen it. Unless you're fortunate enough to play, like, no one's ever seen these places. Right. And so it, I, I'm more than willing to go on that hill with you. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. It's a great hill. 
And it has, and it's definitely influenced by, like you said, that that Scottish experience. You know, the 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 fact that St Andrews, the old course, is closed on Sundays, so that you can walk your dog and have a picnic. It is a public park. It's a public green. That's the and when you drive into St Andrews for the first time, that's the thing that strikes you. You say like, wait, that's the golf course. It's right there. Like, no, that's got to be a parking lot or something because yeah. the golf course has to be away somewhere. Like closed off but no it, it it rolls into the middle of the town it does the same thing in la Hinch. um it does up in moray it does the same thing um and you know where the golf course literally like kind of north barrack flows into the middle of town um where the golf course is incorporated into into sort of people's everyday life and, and that's just that's awesome i absolutely yeah i love that great. and the scottish are very fierce uh fiercely proud of their right to roam you know uh that idea mm-hmm. of i'm a scot and this is scottish land and i can walk upon it and uh so yeah try and put a fence up you know what i mean so it's it's good your book ends in san diego california and it is a very unique story um and it sort of brings a little bit of closure uh for the reader to one of the narratives and the themes that you write about quite a bit, you know, basically understanding where the game began for your father, which really is the beginning of the game, obviously for you and for your family. Can you describe to people, um, we're not giving away lots of things, but I think this was great. I loved the, end. Ah, Can thank you describe you. what's happened in San Diego. Yeah. So it was, as I'm traveling across America, um, a lot of time to reflect in the car, a lot of long drives and, <laughs> thinking about where, you know, what am I doing? How am I out here? What's, you know, what's behind all this and, and all those sort of the questions, the longer you drive, the bigger the questions get. Uh, coming to understand, you know, the role that golf's played in my life, which is, like you said, goes back to my dad, you know, who, who because he golfed, I golfed. So, or because he played golf, rather. People who don't like to use golf mm. as a verb. Because he played golf, I played golf. And not that he forced me to, but I grew up around the game and he took me up for Sunday clinics to, to the club. And, and that's, that's where I fell in love with it. He took me to Ireland when I was a kid and that's where that love sort of grew and expanded. So thinking about him, uh, and how he came to learn golf because he wasn't from a golf family. His dad did not play golf. Uh, he picked it up in the Navy and it was also sort of another surprise theme of the book is, is all the sort of military folks that I met and played golf with. Uh, and discovering the huge role that, you know, when you grow up on the East Coast or the West Coast um, and don't spend a lot of time in the middle, you're less probably aware of the huge role that the military plays in so many people's lives and is at the heart of so many communities and golf communities as well, because that's sometimes often where the golf course is. That was Mm -hmm. the case for my dad, where he picked up golf in San Diego because he was stationed out there um, during I guess it was after Korea. Um, he was stationed there and had an office gig. And um, on his lunch hour, they, you know, they're young guys with nothing to do. And they, there was a, a nine-hole uh, golf course across the street um, from their office. And they would go and it was on the base. And that's where they would go and smack it around without lessons, you know, without, you know, they, they held it like a baseball bat. And, mm-hmm. and he still does. And, uh, you know, 60 years later, um, and still plays and we still play together and in getting to San Diego, my mother and him had been married, got married while he was home on leave in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then he had to be in San Diego the next week. So they got in the car and they drove across the country in a forward fare lane. Um, 
And I would sometimes imagine that and think about that. You know, this was my first time seeing America crossing in it. And that was, that was their first time that they did back in the, you know, the 1950s. And, uh, so to go back, I was on the hunt to try and find the golf course where he found golf. Um, because by extension, it's where I got golf and, uh, and it wasn't easy to find. Um, and whether it truly still exists and whether I did find it. Oh, you found it. I know. Come on. I found it. I don't want to give the reader too much, but it was they're a very, buy it very, anyways. don't work. I, All right, please buy the gonna, book. Trust me. They're going to buy it. They're going to buy it. It was a very special way to sort of close the story. Um, and I was very fortunate to like, it's not, you can't just walk onto a military base and play golf. Um, right. And so I found a very, uh, kind, uh, helpful person at the, at the Naval base golf center and nobody had heard of the, there was no nine hole on the Naval base anymore. So well, I was, cause you, you even mentioned that you had been at Torrey Pines like the day before yeah. or earlier. And those guys who were life or San Diego people were like, they'd never heard of it. They never heard of it. So I was down in the dumps, man. I'm like, ah, oh, this is how I really wanted to f finish the trip and, and wanted to find this. It would mean a lot. And so I couldn't find it. Like no one had heard of it. And so I just started looking at like Google maps of the military base, which is um, actually a good way to get yourself probably put say. into a <laughs> cell somewhere. But yeah. Um, Found Mr. a Corey, green. We'd like to we'd like to have a word with you over you talk here, please. To you. No, no, you please just, see just get phone. into this unmarked yeah. black van. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. <laughs> and found a green space and looked closer, and I was like, "There's a there's greens on this space in the middle of the where Dad kind of said it would be." Um, and found that it was this it was a golf performance center that most of the the course had been lost to new apartments and parking lots, but they'd kept like four greens and a tiny driving range where you hit into nets so as a place to like blow off steam for for the for the sailors so um you know i'm like all right this must be the place but then getting on the base and getting someone to help me out to get there it was that was a whole other level of like generosity and a confluence of, of good fortune um to get through the gates and, and get the chance to put a tee in the ground and walk around and think about 60 years ago my dad uh was a kid and was walking around here, uh, mm -hmm. figuring out golf and figuring and with no idea where his life was going to go and no idea that he'd have a son someday that just played all 50 golf, all state and all 50. <laughs> he played golf in all 50 states and was now here doing the thing that that he was trying to figure out. So that brought it all together to me and was a pretty, pretty emotional day. It was a great ending to a uh, to a fun book. There are also some fun lists in the back of the book because everybody does some lists. I highly we recommend love our lists. Go out and check it. I we we do love our lists. We like to quantify things. We love them stats. Um, a course called America, fifty states, five thousand fairways, and the search for the great American golf course. Tom Coyne, thanks very much for coming on the Ford Press. David, thanks so much for having me. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.